0: Hello and welcome to the Gentle Living Podcast, a podcast for the highly sensitive soul seeking calm, balance and a more gentle way of living. My name is Becky Corbett, a holistic nurse and highly sensitive person based in sunny Brisbane, Australia. It is my mission to empower you to flourish and thrive with all the tools and resources that you need to nurture the nervous system through combining elements of science, spirituality and intuition. I'm so grateful to have you here. Hello, gentle soul. Welcome to episode number 26. Today's episode topic was requested by one of my beautiful podcast listeners, and that is on the topic of navigating dating and relationships as a highly sensitive person, especially when it can become overwhelming. Is this something that you can relate to? I know that it certainly has been for me in the past. So I've been in a relationship for just under nine years now with my wonderful partner, Christy, who I am marrying next February. Yay. And that is assuming that we here in Australia will not still be going in and out of lockdowns and having all that uncertainty surrounding it. But when I was asked to do this topic in my podcast, I reflected on my own experience and disclaimer, I am certainly no relationship or dating expert for that matter. But when I really thought about it, I think that one of the secrets to my long-term relationship with Christy was that she is also a highly sensitive person. Although we weren't aware of that when we first started dating in 2013, I think it was just a matter of being like-minded and like can attract like sometimes. And in fact, I really only learned about high sensitivity probably more so in the past five years or less. So it's really interesting that I found Christy and we both had this revelation over the past few years. We both knew that we were more on the introverted side of the spectrum and that we really valued time in solitude and, you know, all of those signs of being a highly sensitive person. But to discover the whole highly sensitive thing was really validating for both of us, actually. And I think that it's certainly helped in understanding one another better. So in this episode, it's not about me speaking about my relationship. I tend to be quite private about those things, so I'm open about being in a relationship with Christy, but I tend to keep all of the other matters a little bit more private. Typical highly sensitive person, I suppose. But we... To share something with you anyway we both do experience exhaustion after prolonged social events and we both know that one big social event for a weekend is our threshold. We both know that we need quiet time and solitude to unwind so it certainly has made things a lot easier. I have also been in relationships with people who weren't highly sensitive or in hindsight I'm I'm just assuming they probably weren't highly sensitive but either way it doesn't matter. doesn't mean that if you are highly sensitive that you have to go out and find someone who is also an HSP you can certainly have a success in relationships regardless. I do think too that many other HSPs tend to find one another in relationships whether that's dating or through platonic relationships such as friendships but it's not always the case And of course, as the research suggests, high sensitivity only affects around 20% of the entire population. And side note to that, in that statistic, roughly half of highly sensitives are men too, so it certainly isn't a trait which is exclusive to women. So it can certainly become overwhelming when the people that you date or form romantic partnerships with don't understand high sensitivity and that the dating world is not necessarily set up for the HSP either. In this podcast episode, I am going to share my own reflections of navigating the dating world in the hope that it is helpful and relationships as an HSP, um, what has and what hasn't worked. And of course, also share my insights on what the highly sensitive Bible, aka the highly sensitive person book by Dr. Elaine Aron has to say. If you haven't already, I do highly recommend investing in a copy of Elaine Aaron's book. You're probably already aware of it if you're listening to this podcast, but she is the pioneer of highly sensitive research and she covers everything, pretty much it feels like everything um, that's important around being highly sensitive, the science behind it as well in her book. Also, I just want to let you know that I'm definitely not an affiliate or receiving any type of incentive whatsoever to suggest it to you. It's a book that I really think every HSP needs on their bookshelf. I certainly go back to it time and time again, and especially in my work working with clients too. It has been such a helpful resource. And just for myself to validate the things that I go through in life as a highly sensitive person. Or even if you don't identify as being an HSP, still have it on your bookshelf and read it. It will really help you to understand a lot more about high sensitivity and perhaps relate to people in your life who identify as being highly sensitive too. Okay, so let's jump into this juicy topic. One major lesson that I've learned, not just a highly sensitive person lesson but a human lesson is the importance of having self-awareness around our needs. Now I spoke a little bit more about this last episode in episode number 25. Reflecting on the way that I've navigated relationships in the past, including those with friends and family, a key part of overwhelm or frustration that I would habitually experience was not having an anchored awareness of what I needed and how to even go about communicating this or to even grant myself what I needed. If I could go back and change anything, although I wouldn't because I believe that all of these experiences help us to learn and to grow as humans, but hypothetically, if I could go back and change anything, it would be to anchor into the awareness of what I needed to be able to show up as my best self in all types of relationships. A key problem is that we seem to do this all backwards. We often look at what others are looking for or what their needs are, and we try to meet these needs and end up feeling overwhelmed because we're not actually addressing or identifying our own. Partnerships really are a two-way exchange and we absolutely want to be able to meet the needs of others, but it is so much more important that you're able to meet your own needs first, filling your own cup first to prevent that sense of resentment that might build when you're not having your needs met so, for example, I have a much deeper awareness of what I need in all types of relationships now. I need time in solitude to clear my mind on a daily basis. I need to feel seen and heard, to have the time to make decisions, to not feel pressured into making on the spot decisions, and not overcommit to too many social events. To also have the option to change my mind. So if I do commit to some sort of social event, I need to have that option to be able to change my mind if I am having a day in which I'm feeling a little bit more overwhelmed. I also need to have my values respected in any type of partnership, whether that's in an intimate relationship or with friends, and to also feel a deep sense of connection with the other person and spend quality time together. That doesn't need to be serious either. I love being playful and silly and just doing things that might be a little bit more childlike um, and fun, but if the connection isn't strong, that can really drain me too, and that seems to be common of all HSPs. When I reflect on maybe what didn't go so well in past relationships, including friendships, A lot of it comes down to a violation, I suppose, of what I needed. Now, violation is a really strong word. When I say violation, I'm definitely not implying that the other person necessarily disrespected my needs. In fact, I probably should find a different word altogether, but it really was that I wasn't aware of my needs myself, let alone communicating them. So, for instance, instead of communicating to a partner that I'd reached my threshold of social tolerance for a weekend, I would just withdraw and not really explain why. Of course, this can then be perceived as really frustrating or rude to the other person but I wasn't quite sure how to communicate it or instead of communicating that I really would value more quality time with a partner, I might just go quiet and sooky and expect them to read my mind and know why I'm upset. Interestingly, Elaine Aaron's research has indicated that the HSP has a tendency to fall in love much harder and more intensely than the non-HSP. Now, this makes sense when we know that the HSP experiences pretty much mostly everything in life more intensely, but what this can sometimes mean is sometimes when we're dating someone because we experience such intense inner feelings, we can sometimes mistake this as being really smitten or taken with the person that we're dating Rather than it being a matter of that person being as amazing as we think they are, although they may be. And look, this isn't a common thing. I mean, so this is not just a thing for highly sensitive people. This is common for everyone. But being highly sensitive, it can feel a lot more intense because you know that we've got a really deep emotional inner world. Or sometimes it can also mean that the intensity of feelings can overwhelm us and cause us to withdraw or perhaps decline invitations for dates and enhancing relationships as a way to protect ourselves from these intense feelings. Elaine also talks about attachment styles. So learning more about your own attachment style can really give you some perspective It's something that I first came across in my psychology studies a few years ago. And if you're not already aware of attachment styles or you haven't heard of them, it's based on attachment theory, which was developed by British psychologists, John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth in the 60s and 70s. If you are or have been a psychology or social work student, you're probably familiar with this work. So I'll talk a little bit about this and how it plays into how we navigate relationships in our adult years. So Bowlby and Ainsworth were really interested in initially understanding separation anxiety in children, but they extended their research to attachment patterns in adulthood and found that the attachments that children form in childhood with their primary caregivers often underlie the patterns that we experience in intimate relationships, which is really interesting. We take on anything that we've learned through childhood and it actually can stick with us sometimes and we can be unconscious of this and we bring it with us into relationships. There are four types of attachment that children and adults experience. So they're broken into secure attachment, which is defined by being emotionally and physically stable and enjoying secure relationships for the most part avoidant attachment or emotional distance or feeling commitment phobic or towards relationships anxious attachment or feeling insecure, that needing of constant reassurance in relationships and disorganized attachment, which is difficulty in intimacy and is often defined by difficulty in regulating challenging emotions in relationships such as anger. Interestingly, Dr. Elaine Aron's research seems to indicate that around 50 to 60% of all of us HSPs and non-HSPs had secure attachments as children so that is relationships with caregivers that felt safe and secure and emotionally nurturing and so you may fall into that category or you may fall into the other say 50 to 40 percent which are those other attachment styles which i just ran over so consider do you have a tendency to avoid emotional and romantic intimacy to avoid a fear of being hurt or or exposing too much of yourself to then only risk being hurt or perhaps you experience a real need for validation constant validation from your partner and it never quite seems enough or do you struggle to express or regulate your emotions and find that sometimes they can become overwhelming and too difficult to manage wherever you fall there's absolutely nothing wrong with you The good news is though, with greater self-awareness, research shows that you can rewire your attachment style and cultivate the qualities of feeling more secure relationships. If you do have a tendency to feel pretty overwhelmed by the prospect of dating and relationships, can you begin to dig a little bit deeper into what your attachment style may be and get completely honest with yourself too? I know that when I was learning more about attachment theory, I often felt that if I didn't fall into the secure attachment category, that there was something inherently wrong with me. And there's really not. We learn a lot of our ability to emotionally relate to others based off of the relationships that were modeled to us as children. You may have grown up in an environment where your caregivers provided you a lot of warmth and kindness. Yet your parents may have often fought and this sent you a message about what intimate relationships might look like. Or you may have grown up in warmth and kindness, yet say money was always a problem and you didn't feel quite secure or you didn't quite have your physical needs met. You might have had financial and physical needs met, but not emotional ones, for example. Or you may have grown up in an overall turbulent home. So you can see that our context really does play into where we currently are in the way that we navigate relationships. All of these nuances make such a profound difference in the HSP's perception of relationships and how fully we give of ourselves or prefer to keep ourselves safe. The other thing to be aware of too, is the HSP's reluctance to sometimes even take a chance in dating and relationships. Elaine Aaron says that because the HSP is in the minority and we're not viewed as society's ideal, this can often impact our self esteem and we can sometimes consider ourselves lucky if anyone even expresses interest in us or we can doubt that person's interest, which causes us to push away prospective intimate partners to try and protect ourselves i remember often feeling this way when i was a lot younger and well before i ever had a grasp or even awareness of what high sensitivity was you can probably relate to feeling as though you didn't quite fit into that cultural ideal of normality and feeling a bit strange or weird or a bit like you're an outsider and all of those less than ideal low self-esteem kind of feelings so it's been a while now since I've been in the dating space and I know that some things have changed, such as or things have changed on lot actually, such as the accessibility of dating apps, which in a way can be advantageous to the HSP. It allows us the ability to screen prospective dates before jumping in. But the negative side of this is that people often complain about the fickleness. So friends I know that have used dating apps will often say that they've been chatting with someone or they commit to a date or they go on a date only to be ghosted. It seems to be a real problem, this whole ghosting thing these days. So. If you actually fit into the category of avoidant attachment, perhaps you have been a ghoster yourself rather than the ghosty. And no judgment in this space. I'm not here to cast judgment on you. I'm just here to help you to begin to see things a little bit differently and why you may be navigating the dating space in the way that you do. Anyhow, if I was to find myself in the dating space again, I believe that so much of what I've learned through understanding high sensitivity would really help me to navigate dating and relationships whilst reducing the overwhelm that can come with it. And the first place I'd like to start is a place that Elaine Aaron also recommends, and that is upholding your need for daily alone time. We know that when we can first get into relationships or be dating someone, it's really intense and we just want to see them all the time. And even if you really do want to see them all the time, this can often be a recipe for overwhelm. So really honoring that time that you need to yourself. Again, understanding your attachment style can really help you to understand your needs in this space. If you fall within, say, an anxious style where you feel as though you need a lot of validation from your partner and may have had patterns of codependency in relationships in the past, it can be worth exploring this further through self-reflection or even with a therapist. Or if you fall more within an avoidance style, you probably lean towards prioritizing alone time. Wherever you may sit, we HSPs each need daily alone time. Our nervous systems process so much within a day and this is going to be even more so when we're dating or in a relationship with someone and we just need that time to unpack and to let our day go through having that alone time. This is really something that we need to openly communicate with partners to and honour for ourselves. I'm not saying on a first date that you need to unload every detail about high sensitivity, but when you do get to a point of building that emotional intimacy, it's so important that you openly communicate to your partner that while you value the time spent with them, you simply need time to yourself for X amount of time, whatever it may be. And that having that alone time then allows you to show up and be present with that person. Like I mentioned earlier, I've always intuitively felt that need to withdraw each day, whether that even be for a few minutes, but in the past I didn't quite communicate this and I either felt resentful if I didn't get that alone time and agitated or it seemed to the person that I was rejecting them, which was hurtful for them because I wasn't explaining and communicating it to them. HSPs deeply value connections with others and are unlikely to invest into something superficial which will require a lot of effort only to, say, be ghosted or have to start again. (laughs) Or, depending on your attachment style, amongst various other factors, you may have had patterns of investing some time into dating only to completely back away as soon as you perceive things were becoming too intense. Having that awareness around your attachment style in the context of being an HSP can really give you more insight into what you might uniquely need from relationships. This brings me to my next point, which is allowing yourself to step into a space which may feel more vulnerable and icky in which you can communicate your perceptions and needs. I just spoke about our universal need for alone time and that applies to you even if you are an extrovert. But something I would go back and advise my younger self of is to communicate the things that I perceived and how they made me feel and what I felt I reasonably needed. A key problem for us HSPs is our serious aversion to conflict or confrontation. Elaine Aaron explains that a lot of HSPs likely make their biggest communication errors by avoidance of delving into the unpleasantries that will inevitably arise in dating and relationships. Because of our sensitive nervous systems, negatively charged emotions can really cause us to spin into a state of over arousal and sometimes overreact within ourselves. So, I'm not saying that we express overreaction but internally it feels like an overreaction and sometimes we'd rather avoid that unpleasant feeling over being open and honest and potentially stirring up something being highly sensitive you do detect subtleties yet sometimes we can misinterpret these subtleties too we may feel as though a date or potential partner mustn't like us based on a strange subtle look we detected Or we may overread something that was said and interpret it as being negative rather than something that was actually intended to be quite neutral. Remember, just because you've perceived something, it doesn't always mean that your subsequent interpretation of it is accurate. And this is where it's absolutely crucial to step into that discomfort and communicate. If a date or a partner said something that you detected an undertone of something else in, begin to get into the habit of perhaps exploring that with curiosity and asking for that person to clarify. I'm not a perfect communicator by any means, but over the time in my relationship, I've learned that I was very often jumping to conclusions in some situations. And sometimes I still do. Sometimes I'll draw assumptions on something that Christie might've said or done. And it took some time and internal work to really realize that a suppressing it and growing resentful or B overreacting and becoming upset was not healthy and not even a reflection of what she intended in some cases. Depending on how comfortable you are with someone, it can be as simple as saying, you said this, did you mean it this way or did I misinterpret it? Or when you did that, it made me feel this way. What did you actually mean? This gives the person the opportunity to understand your perceptions a little bit better rather than getting trapped into that cycle of mind reading. Another tip from Elaine Aaron that I could have certainly done in the past too was communicate through the use of positive meta communication. Basically, meta means about the word it proceeds. So, meta communication is talking about how you talk. So, negative meta communication might sound like whenever we talk about X, you always ignore me. Whereas positive metacommunication sounds more like, this is a heated topic for us, but I really care about finding common ground with you. So it's not so much accusatory, it's more trying to find that common ground with the person that you're communicating with. I know that this can be so much easier said than done in the moment, especially If you or the other person are struggling to see eye to eye, and sometimes it's just about calling for some time out so that you can both take a breather, come back and communicate openly. Speaking of a breather, my next point is maintaining awareness that environment is everything to the HSP. As we know, dating can stir up a range of new emotions and inner experiences. And added to that is the type of dates that we choose to go on to. I always intuitively used to feel really unsettled or frazzled in settings that were really noisy and super busy. It felt as though I couldn't focus much on the person I was with because the noise was too distracting. Places like bars that have concrete floors so that the noise kind of bounces everywhere and it's really difficult to hear the person that you're with. Those types of places were no fun for me. The other place that also comes to mind for me that I often felt overwhelmed in were the summer night markets in Melbourne. So they sounded, they always sounded great in theory. So they're these beautiful undercover markets with several international food stalls, and you can get really nice cocktails or wine. And the idea is to get a plate of food and then go and find a space and sit down with people. But they were always so, so busy. There's not much room to move around, they're undercover, and it can be really super difficult to have a conversation. I just remember thinking one day that although this is really popular summer activity in Melbourne, um, it's just not something that I'm gonna do again because it just (laughs) wasn't enjoyable for me. Anyhow, especially when you're in the initial phases of getting to know someone, rather than letting the other person take the lead on where you're going to spend time together, Maybe allow it to be a bit more of a collaborative process and consider the environment. Consider that that really is everything amidst, of course, the person that you're dating. What types of settings make for an enjoyable space for you to enjoy someone's company? It may be a bar, but I'd suggest one that's not got concrete so it's or slate grounded so the noises aren't bouncing everywhere, or somewhere like a walk along the river, a picnic in the park, a movie basically somewhere that's not going to hyper-stimulate your nervous system. My other top suggestion to support you in navigating dating and relationships whilst reducing overwhelm is to also maintain the perspective that none of us, HSP or not, will ever attain all of our needs from one person. Now, this sounds really obvious, but sometimes as highly sensitive, so we can really Project a lot of our expectations onto our partners, and that's often unconsciously too. Although I consider myself very blessed to have a life partner who is also highly sensitive, it's definitely not a prerequisite for you to have a successful relationship. I know of so many wonderful couples in which one partner is highly sensitive and the other is not. And what I really believe to be the secret of these successful partnerships is that each partner actively seeks out their needs from multiple people and social situations, If you are an HSP in a relationship with or dating someone non-highly sensitive, it can be really powerful to seek out relationships in which you can discuss your high sensitivity or just be your HSP self, whether that be with friends who just get it, a family member, or if you don't know of anyone reaching out online, there are so many wonderful communities out there now for the HSP. And the other thing is you could even come join my free gentle living community to connect with like-minded HSPs. And you can find more details about that in the show notes, wherever you decide to seek out these relationships, you will find it affirming that the way you feel is often a shared experience. Okay. So the last thing I wanted to touch on in this episode is the concept of love languages. Have you heard about the five love languages? If not, definitely go read a little bit more about them and suss out which one or which ones you relate to along with your attachment style, because I think both of these things in conjunction can really help you. You can even do a quiz online, which I will leave a link in the show notes for that too. The concept of love languages was developed by Gary Chapman, and he's written a book about it. It's called The Five Love Languages most of us will have a default of one to two primary love languages which i believe are probably a result of how you interpreted or received love from your parents or caregivers the five love languages are words of affirmation So if you fall into this category, it's most important for you to receive loving, kind, affirmative, appreciative words from those that you love. You probably also demonstrate your love and appreciation to others in this way. So you're probably the type of person who will say to someone in spoken form, I really appreciate you, or you might say something else, (laughs) or you may have the tendency to write letters or cards then there's quality time. So you value quality time spent with loved ones and often make it a priority to set aside the time to be with loved ones. This has obviously been a really challenging one throughout the pandemic. So as well as physical time with loved ones you may also have really appreciated phone calls or video chats as a substitute for physical time with people although i know it's not the same thing the next one is acts of service so you value loved ones doing things for you that show that they care by making your life a little bit easier for you This may be things such as doing the dishes, picking up a coffee for you, fixing something for you, cooking for you, and you're also likely to express your appreciation to your loved ones in this way too. Then there's gifts. You value receiving gifts, which symbolize love, and you're also likely to be a gift giver, whether that be flowers, an item you really want, tickets to a show. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're materialistic at all. It's just that you simply perceive this as someone's love or appreciation, and it may have been how you received appreciation during childhood And then there is physical touch. This doesn't necessarily mean you're always a PDA type person, but you probably would be more likely to be. You value the physical signs of affection such as hand holding, kissing, massage, cuddling, often feeling that when your partner demonstrates their love in this way, you feel safe and appreciated. Considering these five love languages, it's not uncommon for partners or your date to have an entirely different language to you. For instance, you may really appreciate physical touch, yet your partner prefers to express love through acts of service understandably then you may feel rejected or upset if your partner isn't as enthusiastic with physical affection and they may also feel as though you don't necessarily appreciate the effort that they went into into say cleaning the house for instance so having an awareness of these different love languages and how they play out in our relationships can really help us to understand both how we express and prefer to receive acts of appreciation and to more deeply appreciate dates or partners when they express their appreciation in an entirely different way. This is something that you can pick up pretty early in any relationship too so gentle soul i hope that this has helped you to think a little bit more about how you navigate dating and relationships and how it can be more fun and less overwhelming and i just want to let you know too that i am actually going to be running a free pop-up workshop probably on this topic actually so the HSP in love just in time for Libra season which is the sign of partnerships so if you're curious or you feel that this is something that would be of interest or of value to you simply sign up for my free gentle living community in which you'll receive email communication about further details on how to register the links are all in the show notes that's it from me gentle soul Take care of yourself and let's connect again next week. Thank you so much for tuning in, Gentle Soul. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave me a comment and rating. This helps immensely to boost the visibility of this podcast, making it easier for fellow HSPs to find and to tune in. If you're seeking more connection and would like to find out more about the trait of high sensitivity, come join us in the Gentle Living for the Highly Sensitive Soul Facebook community. Or if you'd like more tailored and individualized support, you can visit my website to find out more. The links can be found in the show notes.